0: personal change is a powerful thing. Personal change is a powerful thing. And, uh, guys and gals, you might, let's say, let's give some examples. You might really like the way that your friend's hair has changed. And so you compliment her, right? You go and check her out. You go and appreciate the work that has been done. You know, the hairdresser has left her mark, or the barber, if you're a guy or a hairstylist, they have left their mark. So you step back and in appreciation you say, Wow, your hair is amazing. I really need your hairdresser's number. Or maybe you recognize that your friend's body has changed so much. Where once your friend was, you know, not exercising and they came to you for accountability and whatnot to help them, to encourage them. Right now, this person has gotten a personal trainer. And the trainer put them, put him on this eat healthy plan. The trainer has given them a workout plan and given them accountability and it's and it is helping them drop the pounds. Right? That trainer has helped them drop the excess pounds from all the excess boba. The trainer has left his mark and so you the observer, you step back and say, "Wow, bro, like I need that too." What's your trainer's name? What's your trainer's number? People want to know right how you did it. How did you how'd you go about it? Because they say, we need some of that too. I'm praying the Lord would just take all of those crows and just shift them to a different direction. In our pastors today, we see Jesus leaving his mark, his mark of a new creation, not in giving someone a new fade or in helping somebody drop a few pounds, but in giving them the ability to walk, and giving them freedom and reconciliation with their maker, forgiveness of sins. I hope that I hope uh, that as you see Jesus leaving his mark in our pastor's day, you say, I need me, some of that Jesus, because he alone has the power not just to heal the body, but more importantly, to heal the soul. And that's kind of our main idea for today. Jesus has the power to heal the body but more importantly, to heal the soul. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The book of Acts is a record, it's a history, of how the church got started all by Jesus' work. Uh, this book was written by the, uh, the uh, um A man named Luke, who was a physician, a doctor, and he turned missionary. And he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And uh, if Luke, for example, is talking about the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth, right? His life, his crucifixion, his death, uh, resurrection. The book of Acts is about the ministry of Jesus raised. It's about the ministry of Jesus in heaven. Luke, he's looking at Jesus on earth. Acts, he's looking at Jesus in heaven, what exactly is his work? Well, the book of Acts records the ministry of Jesus in heaven as he works through his apostles in the power of the Spirit to build his church. Jesus gives this mission in the beginning of the book. If you look there in Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, it says there, you, talking to the disciples, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts, friends, is just an unfolding of that. Chapter 2, we know there that that Jesus pours out the Spirit. Peter and the apostles, what do they do? They witness to the mighty works of God in Christ. And on that day, if you look at the end of chapter 2, after Peter Peter preaches there, after his sermon, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And so you see there that Christ begins to build his church as he works through the apostles in the power of the Spirit. You can see how the church was then, then flourishing. If you look there in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, go ahead and look there. It says, And but day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What were they doing? They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, a miracle we look at today takes place during these early days of the church where the apostles continue to go up to the temple day by day. They're, they're, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus. And, of course, naturally, they go up to the temple to worship. They haven't experienced persecution yet. So they just continue. They're faithful to the Lord. That is Yahweh and His Son. And they go up to the temple day by day. They also go there, right, to worship God, not only worship God, but also to tell people that Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, as we've seen. They will soon face persecution, very soon. In fact, in the next couple chapters, you'll see that they will be persecuted because of the name of God. Because of, really, and really the the miracle here kind of kicks off the next next two chapters. Let's look at the structure for a moment here. First, you have the miracle, right? You got 3, 1 to 10. You got the miracle done by the apostles. The next thing, well, what happens from 11 to the end of the chapter? Peter explains what happened. Big crowd is right there. So he explains. Let me tell you what exactly is going on. But then the next section there in in chapter four, the apostles apostles are arrested, right? The authorities come, they scoop them up, they arrest them, and then interrogate them about what, what in the world is going on. And then after that, they're released. And then you see very clearly that despite the persecution, Jesus causes his church to thrive. So you'll see here that three and four have a very tight progression, and that's what we're going to be looking at over the next handful of sermons here. But today, I got no uh, no points, really. We're just going to walk through the, the, the story, and then towards the end, we're going to note some things. Um, so I guess that's the outline. You got story, and then we're going to note some things. Uh, so today, let's look here at the miracle itself. We see that Jesus, once again, has the power to heal the body, but more importantly, to heal the soul. Let's dive in and see how it happens. Look there at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Again, they had been doing this all along, or at least uh, in these days, right? The Spirit had been poured out. They go to the temple day by day, rejoicing, praising God. They're devout followers of the Lord once again. And it is at the ninth hour that is after sunset. So we're looking at 3 p.m. It's when the second service of the day would happen. The first was at sunrise. The second here is in the afternoon. And as they are going up to worship the Lord, to tell people about Jesus, he's the fulfillment of all God's Old Testament promises, they come in contact with, right there in verse 2, a man lame from birth who was being carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. To set the scene here, the Beautiful Gate has been identified most likely as this massive temple gate made of bronze, Much bigger than the other gates. Now, the other gates were, you know, made of or plated with gold and uh, silver. But this bronze gate that has been identified as the beautiful gate was the largest of them and the most ornate. So those of you guys who plan your trips, you know, you're going to go visit the park, you're going to enter on the east side or whatever side. And, you know, it's going to be beautiful right there. Like, that's exactly what's going on here. His friends lay them at the beautiful, lay him at the beautiful gate It's the most beautiful gate, right? And and they're doing it at the perfect time. So you got the perfect gate. you got the perfect time. Lots of people are going to be going up to worship God, right, where he can go and ask for benevolence or alms. And then as people leave as well, they're going to be doing the same thing. So he's at a great location and at a great time. And then the interaction kicks off there in verse 3. It says there, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or benevolence or money. Now, we don't have too much information, but I assume here that he had seen them before. I assume that this beggar had seen the apostles before, and the apostles had seen the beggar before. I mean, who knows how many days or months or even years this guy was there. In um, You look over at 422, 422 right here. It says there, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed, that's this man, he was more than 40 years old. Who knows how many decades this guy was sitting there at the beautiful gate, day after day, asking for alms, and Peter and the other apostles maybe, probably, had seen each other. So the beggar asked for alms, and Peter directs his gaze right at him and says, Look at us. Pretty direct, right? Verse 5, And, the, that is the beggar, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But, Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. i pause for a moment there. Now, for us who knows, you know, we know how the story ends. The first half of Peter's answer makes sense, right? We know that Peter is going to give him something so much more of value than money. And so he says right there, you know, I don't have silver and gold at this very moment. But for this guy, right, for this guy in the moment, this initial answer would have been pretty disappointing, I think. As I'm sure he heard plenty of times. What he wants is money. Peter actually has none of it. But what Peter knows he possesses, that's interesting, he says, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. Now, if he said it like that, um, you know, if he said something like, now what I have, I give to you, the beggar might have thought he would have been like a little little bit dramatic. What could be better than money? This is what the guy needs in order to survive. Naturally, the beggar would probably be preparing himself to settle for a lot less than money. Might not be what I want, but hey, at least it'll be something. Peter then, looking intently into the man's eyes, says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now again, right here, we pause right there. Again, if we're in the beggar's shoes, right, we think that Peter is pretty crazy. The guy's forty years old. He's had this condition since birth. But in speaking to the apostles on what would have most likely been an, an average, nice, sunny day, late spring, something in the seventies, he hears something that we might not that we might consider laughable. He hears, "Rise and walk." If you think about it, he probably heard that maybe lots of times maybe as an encouragement, maybe as a challenge as his family or his friends or those who are just simply trying to help him might have encouraged him to try, just try. But this time, it is a command. It is a command to rise and walk. You should hear echoes of the commands of God exercising power over the creation, speaking everything into existence. You should hear echoes of Jesus speaking to the inanimate objects, causing them to obey his voice. And hear Peter, what he has, he offers them, and he speaks a command to rise and walk. What happens there? Look in verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately it says, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So think about the very joints that were out of place since birth, were put into place by a word. In a moment, the very muscles and tendons and ligaments that had never been used were made strong. And just picture the crazy scene that would have been if we were all there at the temple gate with hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, going up to the temple to worship God. It would have been crazy for all who were involved. Now, by God's grace, I and uh, others have not experienced such crippling from birth. There have been times where I have not been able to use my joint. In my 20s, I dislocated my shoulder playing basketball. My arm got caught in somebody else's arm. The guy twisted away and there went my arm and my shoulder. And uh, you know, instead of being flush here, it was like out here. Of course, I fall on the ground, I'm writhing in pain. It was really painful, not as painful as gout, but it certainly was painful. And it was dislocated for hours before I had it set back in place at the hospital. Now, imagine the crazy scene if a doctor came up to me in the emergency room and said, not as an encouragement, but as a command, get up, be well. And in a word, in a moment, I am well. I would have been freaked out. I'm sure you guys would have been freaked out. The scene, again, would have been crazy, no doubt. But it also, no doubt, would have been exhilarating. Look at what happens there in verse 8. And leaping up, it says, right? He drew him up by the hand. Immediately he was restored. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And then they all continue to the temple from the beautiful gate. And entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. It's so physical there. He is restored. He is strengthened. And immediately what happens is he's put together and then they go off and go. And and awesome enough, you know, where is it that they get up and go? They get up and go to worship the Lord of creation. This is change. This is change that makes us say, that is amazing. The guy is healed. And so Jesus leaves his mark. But we are supposed to not only say, well, not only step back and say, "Wow, it happened." Our attention is supposed to be fixed on the one who made it happen, right? I think today, as we, as for us who are far away from these types of miracles, we can oftentimes come to the text and say, "Wow, it happened," but that's actually not what we're. That's not ultimately what we're supposed to say. It's kind of like that shock and awe that then is to direct us to something else. And that something else is the one who has the power and authority to make it happen. Now, Peter the Apostle was was the guy, certainly, who met the guy. Peter the Apostle was the one who spoke to the guy, and Peter was the one who took him by the hand and raised him up. But do not miss the fact that Peter directs the cripple's direction to another name. That is the name of Christ. Christ was the one who was at work. Peter performed the miracle, but only as Christ's appointed representative as a one whom Christ had chosen in the words of 219 to work signs and wonders the apostles were delegates of Christ given the authority to go and do what Christ had charged them to do so what I have I give to you the ability probably the gift of healing as we see healing people The authority to speak in Jesus's name so you look at the miracle right and he says in Jesus's name rise and walk so there he's working the sign the sign he's working this wonder indicating that look the time has arrived there is salvation in Jesus God's Messiah and really chapters 3 and 4 you know while we see that a miracle happened and other things take place because of this miracle You know, you have uh, Peter preaching, then the authorities arrest Peter, and then the church grows. Really, all of three and four, all of the events around three and four center around the name of Christ. You look at the miracle. It says, in Jesus' name, basically, rise and walk. And then, as we see next week from 11, we get into the sermon of Peter. Um, and, And what he says there is really fascinating. Um... He says, It is in Jesus' name that your sins can be blotted out, that forgiveness of sins can be had, and that you might be saved. And then, when the authorities arrest Peter and John, if you look in chapter 4, he says, By what power do you do these things? By what authority do you do these things? And so they are astonished, they're puzzled. They have no idea what exactly is going on. So, the, so then they ask. And you look there in verse 10, 410. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Like they ask, like what's going on with this name? Well, let me tell you who this name is. Let me tell you who this person is. And then, of course, when the church grows, the point is, is that Christ, the Lord's church, grows. By what power and by what authority do you do these things? The answer is simple. It's Jesus' name from start to finish. His name goes to the ends of the earth because salvation is found in His name alone. People are to then go and sing His praise. To Him belongs all the power and the glory and the honor and the praise. In this miracle, the risen Christ is at work through the apostles, in the power of the Spirit. But what exactly is Christ doing through the apostles? You can write that down. What exactly is Christ doing through the apostles? I mean, for one, he's making things new. For one, he is certainly making things new, right? Um, Just as Jesus himself performed such miracles, he healed a leper, he healed a man with a... um, an in, ailment uh, in relation to his arm. So, so then here we see, right, in Luke we see Jesus healing. Here in the book of Acts we see his apostles being charged to do the exact same thing. These were, friends, signs. These were signs that, you, that the age of salvation in Jesus had dawned, that Christ had come to rescue his people, and he was now claiming for himself a people, a possession, that is the church. Just as Jesus worked miracles, so he charges, so he gifts his apostles, so he encourages them and sends them out to work miracles and signs in his name. All of them pointing to the fact that he is the one, the Lord, the author of life. So when you read the apostles working miracles, think, this is what I want you to think, this is nothing less than the continuing work of Jesus. And in their miracle working, they they let everybody know that in Jesus Christ, there is, in fact, renewal. You know, in the Old Testament, this was prophesied of hundreds of years before, that God would do something miraculous, something new, something special in His Messiah. Take Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. God speaks through Isaiah about the day when people will, quote, see the glory of the Lord. 35.4 says, in that day, God will come and save you. Verses 5 and 6, Then, right, in that day, that future day, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and and then shall the lame man leap like a deer. In those days, idea continues, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What's interesting is that Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, says that that is being fulfilled in Him. No surprise then that as He saves the disciples and charges them, equips them, gives them the Spirit, sends them out, no surprise then that His apostles, as they speak the Word of God and then work miracles in His name, we see an ongoing fulfillment. And we know that one day it will come to completion. Not yet, but one day, as is affirmed in Romans chapter 8, where Jesus will work complete renewal In the new creation. But as we await that day, praise God, he shows us even physically in this one man where he's taking things. Now, we know that this man died, right? This man still awaits the future new creation. But here in this healing of the man, he indicates to all of us here exactly where he's taking things. And then, of course, beyond. This man's physical healing is a foretaste of the complete physical restoration that Christ will bring for his people. And in this restoration, in this reverse of the curse of sin, then it will be brought to fulfillment at that time in Christ's return. Now we know from the Bible that though sin and illness came into the world and death came into the world through sin... Right. That's the problem. We know that there is a great solution. In Christ, in His resurrection from the dead, He has declared defeat over sin, over death, and over Satan. And now all who are in Him, you Christians who are in Jesus Christ, get to follow in His train. Certainly going through the earthly difficulty of suffering, certainly be laid in the grave... And praise God, certainly in the resurrection from the dead. We will follow his train one day, putting on new resurrected bodies that will not perish. What Christ was doing in this man, as he was bringing physical healing, right? He was bringing a foretaste of the once and for all physical healing that comes at the end. This brings us to another thing that Christ was doing. Another thing that Christ was doing. He was clarifying through the apostles that he alone has the power and authority as the Lord of creation. He alone has the power and authority as the Lord of creation. You know how, you know what Peter does after he heals? It's really interesting. What does he do after he heals? He has the wow factor right there in verses 9 and 10. Go ahead and look there. All the people saw him walking, right, the beggar, now healed, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him. They knew, you're you're the guy. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. But what does Peter do next? Those of you who come from the prosperity gospel, pay special attention. He does not go from healing to healing Right? You, you figure that if that's what the kingdom is about, then he would say, Let, let's not talk. Let me heal, 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 heal. Let me just continue doing this. Thousands of people, tens of thousands by the hands of the apostles could have been healed. But he doesn't do that. That's really interesting. He goes from, instead, healing, to put it a cute way, a memorable way, healing to homily. You know what a homily is? It's a sermon. It's another word for a sermon. He goes from healing to Homily. Now, yeah, I know that's kind of clever. I want you guys to remember that. But the main point here is that he does not go on from healing to healing, but healing to speaking. That's really fascinating. What does he say? Verse 12. uh, You look at 312. Why are you guys surprised at all this? Verse 13. The God that you say you worship, God is glorified in his servant Jesus. The one that you crucified. Verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name. It has made this man strong whom you see and know. Okay, the people then, they think, okay, well, what then? What should we do given our sin, given our rejection of God, given our own crucifixion of Jesus? Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's interesting. It's imperative that they realize and acknowledge who this Jesus is. He is God's servant. He is the author of life. He is the one who makes all things new. In him there is forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of Christ is not about physical health here on earth. It's about whether we have been restored with the Lord of all creation who is Christ. It's about whether or not we have turned from our sin and then towards Jesus, the loving Savior of salvation. Going back to Peter, going from healing to homily, this teaches, a lot, teaches us a lot about what the gospel is, right? If the good news of Jesus were about physical healing primarily, you would figure that he would have said, right, on the sermon, right after healing him, the crowd recognizes who this guy is, and you also are physically ill, Come to Jesus for earthly health. But he does not say that. He goes from sickness, something lesser, to sin, something greater. You crucified the Lord of life. Now repent that your sins may be blotted out, that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshment may come definitely sin in the present forgiveness of sin in the present and do not forget don't forget the hope of eternal life and the new creation to come all of that comes this refreshment comes in the lord if you are checking out christianity god in this miracle here of healing this man has left his mark Now, he does not promise anybody in this life that we are going to have good health and wealth. He has definitely promised, though, definitely promised, though, in the future that in the new creation, we will have new bodies. And we're also going to have, in terms of wealth, this heavenly inheritance in him greater than all of the riches of the world. And the question that God wants you asking today is not how is it that we get earthly health and wealth for our lives here and now? It is do you, friend, recognize the Lord of life? The Lord of life overall. That is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This man recognized. This man recognized. And you see that there in verse 16. And his name, by, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus, in Jesus, latched onto Christ, has given the, the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He knew already that Christ was the Lord of life. From Peter's sermon. He makes this this clear that this man believed. He already acknowledged. He already knew. Yes, he was made to walk. But again, in his healing, Christ makes clear that he alone has the power and authority. Friends, you've got to realize that Christ never promised that he would make us healthy and wealthy in the here and now. Does he for some? Certainly. Does he promise that to anybody? Absolutely not. I want to be clear on this because many people think that they can give the Lord of life a try thinking that the Lord has promised this to us here on earth, right? We talk about this a lot, but let me encourage you and remind you that that is only an exercise that leads to disappointment. The reason why is because the quest itself is founded on a misunderstanding. While Christ never promised earthly health and wealth, he has promised that all who call on his name will be saved. And that when you truly trust in him and throw yourself at his feet, You will receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God your maker and experience all of the blessings that come in Christ, including the new creation and the hope of a new creation. And you see that this is the good news, that Christ has come to reconcile sinners to God, calling them, calling all, to repent of their sins and believe on Him for salvation. This is why He lived a righteous life that sinners could not. This is why He died the death and bore the wrath that sinners deserved. This is why Jesus was raised from the dead, destroying sin, death, and Satan, showing to all that the curse of sin is no more. So when it comes to this particular miracle, our ultimate wow should not be, again, that it happened. It should be, wow, Christ has all authority in heaven to make it happen. All authority... To make even the most humanly impossible happen. To erase the debt of your sin that you cannot repay. To save and to deliver everybody who turns from their sins. So let me encourage you, call you to repent of your sins and believe and you will be saved by this Christ, the Lord of life, the author of life. If you repent of your sins, your sins are wiped away. Times of refreshment will come. Refreshment in the forgiveness of sins and the new relationship with your maker. Refreshment in the hope of a new creation. Let me finish off speaking to the Christian here. As we think about God leaving his mark, did you know that the more regular instrument that God uses to leave his mark or that proves his mark among here on, uh, people here on earth is your changed heart, Christian? That is the more regular instrument that God uses to have other people say, Whoa, what is what's going on there? Give me some of that. What's your God's number, so to speak? What's your God's name? What does he stand for? For so clearly I see his work here, and I need some of that in my life. Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine before others, that so that they may see your good works and what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. John 13, 34, and 35, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. First Peter speaks about how non-Christians will see our conduct, right? The Christian's conduct, which of course flows from a changed heart in Jesus, and they too will glorify God on the day of visitation. There's other verses that we can come through where we're supposed to put on. Right, where We're supposed to close ourse- clothe ourselves with godliness so that outsiders will see and know something is unusual here. Friends, you've got to realize that even though we're looking at a text where a guy is healed, who's never walked from birth, and all of a sudden he walks, right? we too should know, should always remember that the most basic means that God uses to testify to Christ is the Christian's changed heart is the Christian's healed heart when it comes to us, right, in our person. Certainly, words, yes, absolutely, but we're talking about here our person. Every member of Christ's church, each and every single one of us who has genuinely trusted Christ has received, friends, spiritual healing. Every Christian has received the cure of Christ for our darkened hearts, our blind blind eyes, our deaf ears, and where we were once spiritually dead, we are now alive in Christ. So guys, you realize that you have been made a light. If you can imagine, I'm not not drawing any ontological realities of God's being. If you imagine God being like the sun, and we are connected to him, showing others and spreading the warmth of Christ in people's lives, or that they too might say, wow, this is amazing, you are awesome, and we point back to, well, actually, no, we're not awesome. Christ is awesome. Were evidence of his great transformational work in the gospel as he saves us by his grace. Though we may not ever be healed of our ailments physically here in this life, all of our hearts already, Christian, leaps with joy in the salvation that we have received from Christ as he has won salvation for us despite our sin. So let me encourage you guys, do not discount the work that Christ performs in all of His people's hearts through the power of His Spirit. Christian, you are Christ's new creation, and He has started in the heart. So yeah, if you look back in your own life, I'm sure you got a lot of junk and garbage going on there. You know where you came from and the things that you had done. Maybe you're tempted to wish you had wished that no one had ever seen them, ever. But I pray that you don't hide what you were before Christ as if those things did not exist, never acknowledging what you were and maybe what you had done in front of others. I pray that you are, in fact, able to acknowledge it and, where appropriate, talk about it so that others would know without a shadow of a doubt that it is in His name that you have been changed and that it is in His name that you have been saved. Every changed heart bears the mark of God in Christ where others will see and marvel, taking a step back, saying, where did you get this new love? Where did you get this new joy and this new peace? And our answer is, well, we once lived in the dark, but Christ has shown me the light, His light of life. In Him there is forgiveness of sins, and it is good. We can tell them this. In Him there is forgiveness of sins, and it is good to live under and with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we recognize that it is Jesus Christ who has all power and all authority, certainly to heal. You are the Lord of creation, the author of life, after all. You are the one who speaks things into existence. And so it is no hard work for you to heal a a lame man. But we know, God, that you are the only perfect and righteous one, the one who has created us to be in a relationship with you. And it certainly is no hard work for you to change the sinner's hearts so that we might know you and be in fellowship with you and know the love of God poured out into our hearts and know the peace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that this here, as we see that this man has been healed, we pray, God, that our eyes would be directed and land finally not on that it happened, but on the fact that you made it happen by your grace and by your mercy. We pray to you that you would move our hearts to go from the lesser to the greater, that you would move our hearts to go from this problem of physical ailment to the problem of sin where our, our hearts would land on the greater. And that you would remind us continually as Christians that we are in need of someone and some Savior, a deliverance outside of ourselves, deliverance in Jesus. Help direct our eyes over and over again to the fact that you, by your grace and your compassionate mercy, have so given us a new heart. You've caused us to be born again, and you have helped us see that you are, in fact, the Lord and Savior. Help us shine as your lights in this world, that we might point people to Jesus over and over again. In your name we pray. Amen.